You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cloud Snooper is infesting cloud infrastructure servers. A China skeptical advocacy group draws attention to U.S. states' contracts with Chinese vendors that aren't named Huawei. Senator Wyden would like the security company that audited the votes to explain the clean bill of health it gave the voting app. Facebook's campaign troll hunt comes up empty so far this time. And what we're seeing and hearing at RSAC 2020. From RSA 2020 in San Francisco, the city by the other bay, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. Sophos reports finding a sophisticated infestation of cloud infrastructure servers hosted in the AWS cloud. The researchers call it cloud snooper, and they emphasize that this isn't an AWS problem per se. Cloud Snooper is distinctive in the way its command and control traffic rides on top of legitimate normal web traffic, doing so in a way that bypasses many firewalls. The capability and complexity of the attack, along with its use of purpose-built malware, suggest to Sophos that the threat actor may be a nation-state, or at the very least an unusually capable criminal group. A report from China Tech Threat warns that many U.S. state procurement officials are buying risky technology from Chinese vendors. The group's report mentions Lexmark and Lenovo in particular and urges the National Association of State Procurement Officers to help its members introduce greater security into their acquisition processes. Lexmark denied presenting any such threat, telling NextGov that the report contains inaccuracies and mischaracterizations. Lenovo hadn't replied to NextGov by the time they went to press. Lexmark may indeed feel ill-used, and China Tech Threat's warning is based not on any specific behavior on the part of either Lexmark or Lenovo, but rather on the group's observations of state purchases, the permissions the contracts give to vendors, and its understanding of China 2017 national intelligence law. China Tech Threat recommends that the states ask themselves two questions. Have procurement leaders unwittingly allowed China to access sensitive government and private citizen information? And should state procurement officials eliminate existing contracts with Chinese-owned manufacturers for the sake of maintaining data privacy and confidentiality? It's perhaps worth noting that there are Chinese companies other than Huawei and its smaller rival ZTE, and that such companies may also merit security scrutiny. 
But it's also worth noting that specific security bad behavior has been alleged of Huawei far more than it has been charged to other firms. Meritalk says that U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, has written Shift State Security to ask what sort of vetting the company applied to its client votes when it checked Votes' voting app. The senator is particularly interested in Shift State's reaction to an adverse report on votes that MIT researchers rendered on February 13th. Senator Wyden has asked Shift State's chief security officer to provide him, by March 9th, answers to three questions in particular. How many of the Shift State personnel who audited votes had experience in election security, cryptographic protocol design and analysis, side channel analysis, and blockchain security? whether Shift State discovered the same flaws as the MIT team, and if they didn't find those flaws, could they please explain why they publicly said votes did well in the audit? And does Shift State disagree with the MIT researchers' findings? If they do, why? Senator Wyden has also asked NSA, in a letter to Secretary of Defense Esper and Director NSA Nakasone, to conduct a security audit of votes, which suggests that he's unlikely to be fully satisfied by what Shift State winds up telling him. Votes has strongly disputed the results reported by the MIT researchers, so the responses, if any, from Shift State will be followed closely. The Wall Street Journal reports that Facebook has been unable to substantiate claims by an outside researcher that some ill-behaved supporters of Senator Sanders were in fact either Russian or Republican trolls. Had Menlo Park found evidence of coordinated inauthenticity, Facebook says, they'd have taken down the offending sites, pages, posts, and so on. Dr. Chenzi Wang is the founder and general partner of Rain Capital, a cyber-focused venture fund. This Thursday at RSAC 2020, she's part of a panel discussion titled, Do Investors Care About Cyber Risk? She stopped by our booth in Broadcast Alley to share her insights. RSA is a conference that I've been to for probably more than 10 years now, right? And it used to be just one in one building and now in two buildings, um, or several years ago in two buildings now. I tend to prefer the smaller booth where uh, you see the more early stage companies, you see more innovations. Not to say large companies don't have innovation, but they're more established. You kind of know their technology solutions better. The small ones, um, you tend to find... uh, pleasant surprises, right? So new new approach to solving a problem or new ways, new perspective looking at a challenge, I find that really interesting. So I, I usually go to the, um, I call the, the fringe of the conference, mm-hmm. right? The, the mm-hmm. smallest booth, people can't afford to buy a big booth. Those uh, companies I pay more attention to. Let's say uh, someone uh, has that booth around uh, the fringe of the conference mm-hmm. and they do Uh, attract your attention and and, uh, you say, let's have a meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your advice to that person? How should she uh, prepare to get the most out of of your time, uh, not waste your time? Uh, What sort of things do you like to see in, in... those initial presentations? Great question. Um, so I think as a, um, a pitch to an investor um, is, is somewhat similar to a pitch to a potential customer, right? You have to convince them that this is a an interesting solution, that it's worth your time to dig into. Um, and there's some nuances for investors, particularly, uh, I'm going to talk uh, in a little bit, but the general framework that I advise people start with is what is a problem? 
why is the problem important? Why are we uniquely qualified to solve this problem? What is the shape of the solution that we bring to you? And then the fifth one for, for investors is how big is the market? Well, here at the conference, you are going to be part of a panel uh, discussing the question, mm-hmm. do investors care about cyber risk? Um, what can uh, folks who attend that, what can they expect to, uh, to hear discussed? Yes. So um, this is an interesting panel because the two gentlemen I'm on the panel with, uh, one of them is a, an analyst from uh, Goldman Sachs, and the other one is a former CISO from Moody. Uh, so both of them um, sit from the, the position of analyzing companies. The reason that the organizer of the panel wanted me is to add that perspective from the other side of the table versus people who are analyzing companies. And I can tell you from my perspectives of these different roles that I take on these days, investors care a lot about cyber risks. So I sit on a a board of a public utility and construction uh, company. And being a utility company, they operate critical infrastructure, right? Uh, So consumers, depending on their electricity and natural gas services, and, and that cannot be disrupted. So cybersecurity is very important for that sector of the industry. And their investors, along with investors of other public companies, are increasingly asking public companies to disclose more information about what they do in terms of cyber defense. And the same thing goes with you know, their increasing pressure on disclosing more information on environmental and sustainability issues. And, and those all sort of go um, hand in hand. As a private investor, meaning that you know people who invest in private companies, we care a lot about uh, the operation of the company, whether they take security into consideration. Because at some point, as an investor, you want the company to exit, right? So right. Uh, that means they either become a public company, which will be under the same uh, level of scrutiny, or they um, have an exit uh, being sold to a larger company who in the M&A process will scrutinize their cybersecurity maturity. Because of these reasons, we investors, whether it's private company investors or public uh, company investors, all care a lot these days about cybersecurity risks. As we look towards the coming year, um, you know, looking towards the horizon, what sort of trends are you tracking? Where do you think... Uh from an investor's point of view, are, are there things that you see changing in the short term? So a few things I think are notable in terms of trends. One is the uh, attitude and treatment uh, towards privacy. I would say three, four years ago, you would be hard-pressed to find a privacy tech company in this conference. And I think this year you'll see more than a handful of companies that are automating uh, privacy engineering um, or uh, providing privacy services for data, for data protection. And those are, uh, I think, a notable shift in industry, right? So we consumers and companies paying more attention to privacy and how to provide privacy to users is, is a, a, a big shift. Another thing is, the sort of general acceptance of 
cloud computing. Mm. Because cloud is here and is here to stay, uh, cloud security is now a, a very, very visible um, strategic initiative for many companies. I am also looking forward to seeing more women at the conference this year. So I'm seeing a lot of uh, new, actually new sort of a, a new blood into the industry and people want to take on uh, being a security engineer or being a hacker and from different walks of life, which is very interesting to us. And, and I'm looking forward to more diversity in industry. That's Dr. Chenzi Wang from Rain Capital. Yesterday's big event at RSAC was, as it usually is on opening Monday, the Innovation Sandbox. In this event, the conference honors a particularly innovative startup. They typically begin with a field of about 100 applicants, then winnow them down to the 10 finalists who present in the sandbox itself. And yesterday, the judges selected 2020's winner. Privacy specialist Security.ai was named this year's most innovative startup in the Innovation Sandbox. Master of Ceremonies, Dr. Hugh Thompson, called this year's field maybe the strongest we've ever seen. The judges found the problem the company focused on, privacy, compelling. They thought the way in which regulators would drive the market in privacy solutions was particularly important, and that security.ai was well-positioned to ride that market force. The company's theme is transforming privacy operations with robotic operations. Its presentation emphasized that privacy is a basic human right— but data sprawl makes it difficult for organizations to effectively safeguard that right at the individual level. Security.ai argued for an approach in which privacy operations overlaid automation and orchestration atop people data intelligence. It's worth mentioning the other nine companies selected as finalists, App Omni, Blue Bracket, Elevate Security, For All Secure, Inky, Obsidian, Screen, Tala Security, and Vulcan Cyber. Innovation Sandbox finalists have, over the years, compiled an enviable record of both effective innovation and business success. Congratulations to them all on some well-merited recognition. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. 
Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I am pleased to uh, welcome to the show Rick Howard, uh, a latest addition to our CyberWire team. Rick, always great to have you here. It's great to be here. We are here at uh, the RSA conference for 2020, and um, I wanted to, to, to get your insights. Back when you were working at Palo Alto and you would come to a show like this, um, how did you approach it? When, when you were deciding what sort of tools you were going to purchase for Palo Alto or checking out the competition, those sorts of things, how did you approach a show this big? Well, first, I, I just love this show, right? Because first, San Francisco is one of my favorite cities. And mm. in this week, the weather is just fabulous. Right. right, right. So it's gorgeous. <laughs> and, you know, RSA is kind of a mix between uh, Mardi Gras for nerds and high school reunion, right? Anybody that you've ever met in the industry comes here at some point in their career. That is true. This morning, exactly, I've been meeting the same person at the same corner at the same time for seven years. And we only see each other once a year, and that's what we do. Okay. Somebody needs to write a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what's great about the RSA conference is everybody comes here, every vendor comes here, and then every serious uh, cyber defender comes here. And if you're trying to network with people, this is a way to get a lot of things done very quickly in a very compressed amount of time. Uh, the presentations are really good, but most of the work going on here at RSA is not being done in the actual conference session, right? It's being right. done in all the hotels and all the bars uh, around the area. So you get, to get to, you get to talk to a lot of different vendors, and you get to talk to a lot of cybersecurity thought leaders uh, right here in San Francisco. So that's one approach. Make time to do those things, and it's a networking event for security professionals. Right. The second thing I would say is uh, make time to spend on the floor, right? I know people kind of avoid the floor because you're going to get your badge scanned and then a thousand emails are going to come your way. Right, right. But that's where all the new ideas are. And just spend the day, mm -hmm. even half a day if you can. Just go see what everybody has. And you're going to be able to see what are the new ideas, what's the same idea being repackaged, uh, and what even uh, the vendors that you're using, you can get the vision statement from what they're going to be do uh, later on. So, uh, so make time to hit the floor. You know, one of my favorite uh, things to do at a conference like this is to spend some time around the edges of the show floor, right. where those little startups of because that that's where you're going to find that idea, that innovation that nobody's thought of. And they're just trying to get someone's attention to say, look, we, we may have a solution here. Yeah, and they're very passionate. And, uh, and you learn a lot by just talking to those folks. They're, you know, that's the two guys and the dog in the garage uh, team, right? Right, right. Uh, and, uh, and, and if it is any good, uh, they're likely to get picked up by one of the big vendors in the next year or two. So uh, that's where you get your first entry into all that. What about for someone who is just starting out in the field and, and they're walking around and they're, maybe they're seeing some folks, uh, names they recognize mm -hmm. from social media, from publications and things like that. Um, it seems to me like um, they should not be intimidated to come up and say hello, shake, shake your hand, you know, introduce themselves, try to... Uh, to expand their social network that way. Yeah, virus uh, worries uh, notwithstanding, okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, everybody here comes because the, they want to meet the people. And uh, everybody you talked about, all those people 
who are, you know, celebrities or thought leaders in our industry, uh, they will absolutely spend whatever amount of time they have for you if you want to go up and talk to them. And this is the place to do it. Right. right, because uh, you're trying to learn, and they want the new folks to uh, be uh, do well in the industry. So, yeah, please take advantage of that. Anything in particular that you have your eye on this year? Anything you're uh, you have your sights set on that uh, you're looking to explore? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I've been studying uh, the sassy development. In fact, when you say sassy, you should really say sassy. Or, you know, <laughs> sassy. <laughs> Wasn't that something from the Flintstones? Wasn't I think that it, Dino's girlfriend I, was. Was it sassy? sassy? I think Wasn't you're right sassy? about that. <laughs> Sorry. No, we're we're, I, we're dating ourselves I, here, Rick. I'm totally going to use that in all my slides from now on, though. <laughs> um, and I think. Uh, sassy, I've been interested in it because I think it's going to disrupt how we all receive security services in the future. Okay. It's changing the paradigm. So I'm looking for people talking about that, any discussions about that. That's sassy stands for? Secure Access Service Edge. It's a horrible name. Okay. Uh, Gartner coined it uh, in back last August. Okay. There have been companies delivering those services for the last three or four years, but it really hasn't caught on as a movement yet until Gartner gave it a name. Uh, so Sassy. And what it really is, is changing how we deliver the service. You know, when I did this back in the old days, um, we would build a security stack and put it everywhere our data was. We would trombone data from remote locations back through the security stack, and it's really not very efficient. Yeah. SASE is really a combination of uh, MSSPs, but a cloud vendor that has a security stack that they manage hmm. in the cloud, right? But you run your policy on it. Okay, and instead of tromboning all the traffic out from wherever you are, your first hop wherever you are is through a SASE vendor in the cloud. Huh. So if I'm a remote user at RSA, I don't run my traffic back to headquarters. I go to the local node here in California. It goes through my security stack, and then it goes to the Internet if that's where it needs to go. Right? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, and I, it's the perfect solution, I think, for small to medium-sized businesses. Um, and for big business like Fortune 500 companies, I think it's probably pretty good this year for non-essential stuff. Okay. All right. Well, good insights. Uh, Rick Howard, as always, uh, great to have you on board. Nice to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. 
Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.